In the beginning, there was only ocean. Until the mother island emerged. Defiti. Her heart held the greatest power ever known. It could create life itself. And Defiti shared it with the world. But in time, some began to seek Tefiti's heart. They believed if they could possess it, the great power of creation would be theirs. And one day, the most daring of them all voyaged across the vast ocean to take it. He was a demigod of the wind and sea. He was a warrior. A trickster! A shapeshifter who could change form with the power of his magical fish hook. And his name was Maui. But without her heart, Tefiti began to crumble, giving birth to a terrible darkness. Maui tried to escape but was confronted by another who sought the heart. Teka, a demon of earth and fire. Maui was struck from the sky, never to be seen again. His magical fish hook and the heart of Tefiti were lost to the sea. Where even now, a thousand years later, Teka and the demons of the deep still hunt for the heart, hiding in a darkness that will continue to spread, chasing away our fish, draining the life from island after island until every one of us is devoured by the bloodthirsty jaws of inescapable death! Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hope. My name is Ashley Lentz. I'm one of the pastors here. We do not believe it's an accident you are here this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us for worship. We are in a sermon series uh, about the Ten Commandments, and we find ourselves at commandment number seven today, do not steal. And as you could see in that clip from the Disney movie Moana, uh, something has been taken and darkness ensues after that thing is taken. And it would be really easy for me to just like tell you, do not steal. Um, that's pretty easy to live by. If you're doing that, don't do that. So if I don't say that any other time this morning, don't take things that are not yours, okay? But we gotta come at this from a little bit of a different angle. There's gotta be more here. Uh, when God tells us, do not steal. Well, if something is stolen, that means somebody else has had something taken. And there are relational implications when we steal, and not necessarily just tangible things, uh, but maybe with our attitude, we steal joy, 
or happiness or comfort or love from people. We just take because perhaps we think we are owed those things. And so we'll dive into that this morning. But I wanted you to, to notice in that clip, when Maui takes that, stuff happens afterward. The whole story of Moana is the restoration that comes uh, after those things are restored, after that heart is returned. And so she spends the movie trying to get the heart of Tefiti returned. The Ten Commandments outline for us a way that we can live, a way that, that is characterized by certainly what we do on the outside. Our actions do not steal, Right? But more than that, God wants to talk to matters of the heart. Behind every commandment is kind of a heart issue. And so God calls us to change from the inside out, that our actions should reflect the, the, the content of our heart. Uh, the, maybe the heart matter behind do not steal is greed, envy, jealousy, something we think we are owed, a mindset that the world should just provide for me. Whatever it is, God says, let's change that. So that you, as a, as a believer in God, as a follower of Christ, put different stuff into the world. That what follows you, the relational implications of you walking into someone's life, is light. It's life. It's growth. And it's love. We, um, we've been called to overflow in our character as followers of Christ. Uh, growing up, I'm a Westwood student. I'm, I'm an Ankeny graduate. Uh, any Westwooders in the house? Yeah, I know we have some young people here. Westwood, all, is character counts still a thing? Like, that was a thing when I was growing up. And I remember posted throughout my elementary school signs that said character is what happens when no one is watching. Character is what happens when no one is watching. When we talk about stealing, that typically happens in the dark, right? Under the rug, you don't really want people to know. Character is what happens when no one is watching. God is calling us to a change of character. He cares deeply about who we are and who we point people to. Do we point them to a God who is rich in abundance and overflowing, or do we point them to darkness? Do we point them to, to stealing, stealing life, stealing joy, stealing light? God's calling us to change from the inside out and, and have that point to him in who we are. And as Jesus does when it comes to the Ten Commandments, he kind of raises the bar. When, he, when he's asked Jesus what's the most important commandment, he sums them up by saying love God and love others. They are relationally based. And Martin Luther, as he ex expands on all of the commandments, and about commandment number seven, he says, in addition to not stealing material items, he says, we are commanded to promote and further our neighbor's interests. And when they suffer any want, we are to help, share, and lend to both friends and foes. Here you have a rich Lord who is surely sufficient for your needs and will let you lack or want for nothing. We are commanded to help, share, and lend to both friends and foes. Why? Because we have a God who is sufficient for all that we need. He will let us lack nothing. We have this abundance that we are called to. Our character as people of God should overflow in that abundance. People should want to hang out with us because we give love. We give joy, not from us, but because we have a sustainer of those things. We know God, and we can point people to him in that. As we flip the page from Exodus to Leviticus, Leviticus is a book of law, uh, and God expands on what he means by do not steal, and, and he says to Moses, suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. 
Suppose you cheat in a deal involving a security deposit, or you steal or commit fraud, or you find lost property and lie about it, or you lie while swearing to tell the truth, or you commit any other such sin. If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. You must give back whatever you stole or the money you took by extortion or the security deposit or the lost property you found or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. Interesting that God doesn't say just give back what you took. God adds plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. Why does he do this? The person doesn't, we don't owe that person an additional 20%. Well, it's because God cares about our relationships. He cares about what it says when we take something from someone. He wants us to know that that we have a right to restore that person in our relationship. We have a right to love them, care for them as people of God. So we just, well, I've told this story before. Uh, I'll tell it again because it's humbling, and so if you've heard it, I apologize. I'll tell it quickly. My sister and I grew up. I have a sister. Her name's Rachel. She's two years younger than me. Growing up, we each had piggy banks. In my room, you'd go to my room, shake my piggy bank, and you'd hear a little bit of change in the bottom of that piggy bank. Okay, I did not have a lot of money. I'm still a spender. My sister, on the other hand, had a piggy bank that if you shook it, you heard nothing, and it's because it was packed full of money. She had so much money in her piggy bank. And so you'd shake it and you wouldn't hear anything. But if you looked in a little hole at the top, you could see bills. And so Ashley, who had nothing growing up, or so I thought, right, thought it was genuinely okay because Rachel had an abundance. She had over an overflowing piggy bank. I really thought it would not be a problem if I just plucked bills out of the top of her piggy bank growing up. Now, I'm not saying you should do this. In fact, I'm telling you, you should not do this. But... I thought, she has a ton, and I don't have any, so it's totally fine if I take from her. I didn't admit this to her until like a couple years ago when I preached on it, and and then I I apologized. And rather than just paying her her back, which I couldn't even tell you how much money I took. It was a few bucks here and there. Still not okay. Uh, But rather than just giving her money back, instead I said, Rachel, I'm so sorry that I didn't value you as a human being enough to know that that wasn't okay. And I guarantee you, my sister's a really lovely person. I guarantee you if I would have said to her, hey, Ray, I don't have very much money in my piggy bank and I would like a couple dollars for whatever, she would have been like, sure, look at all the stuff I have. Instead, I thought I had to go take it. God calls us to a different way of life. He cares about our relationships, which is why he's given us these commandments. The commandments are not given so that we check boxes. The commandments are given because they impact our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So I'm going to do an an emotional health check for all of us, but I need to preface this before we jump into it. Um, We just finished a class called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There's a whole course that goes along with it, but it's a book by a guy named Peter Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And part of that course is gauging where where you are on an emotional maturity level, emotional infant, emotional child, emotional adolescent, or an emotional adult. So we're going to take a little self-assessment, and we're not doing this so that you feel shame, like, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person. Not at all. We all have room to grow. And so I'm going to show you in just a little bit uh, the characteristics of those things. But the whole premise of this book is, it's the, the, on the cover of the book, it is impossible to be spiritually mature 
while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity go hand in hand. We cannot be followers of Christ. We cannot claim to love God really well if we do not love others really well. And our emotional health speaks to how we are in relationships with people around us. So it's critically important that we are emotionally healthy people because that impacts our relationship with God and with others. So we're going to take a little self-assessment. I'll put the characteristics on the screen, and you do not have to raise your hand. Just mental note, perhaps places where you can grow. See if anything uh, sticks out to you about these categories as we build up to an emotional adult. So the categories of are the characteristics of emotional infant. They might look for others to take care of them. They struggle to enter the world of others. They might be driven by a need for instant gratification. And they perhaps use others as objects to meet their needs. Do you hear the taking, the stealing? This person needs stuff from other people and they're going to take it. An emotional child, they're happy if they get what they want. They're easily hurt. They can complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, or become sarcastic when they don't get their way. The emotional child struggles to articulate their needs in a mature way. Again, they take from the world around them. Moving right along, the emotional adolescent can tend to be defensive. They can keep score of what they give so that they can ask for something in return. They might struggle to truly listen to another person's pain or needs, and they can be critical and judgmental. Now, those three categories, they think the world owes them something. Contrast that with an emotional adult. An emotional adult is able to ask for what they need clearly and honestly. They can recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. They respect others without needing to change them. And the emotional adult is in tune with their personal emotions and the emotions of others without losing themselves. The emotional adult has very healthy boundaries. They can, they can manage who they are. They, they know how to check their emotions well. And they can engage with other people without being changed by other people or without needing to change other people. They recognize that I'm an individual person and you're an individual person and we can coexist and love each other in our individualness. What I hear in the first three categories is a mindset of being owed something. The world owes me something, so I'm going to take that from other people unapologetically versus an emotional adult who's going to give graciously. I know I'm responsible for me. I know I have what God has given me. It's not really mine. It's God's that he's entrusted to me. And so I'm going to give that into the world graciously. I'm not going to try to change you. I'm just going to freely give love, life, joy, because it points to something greater than me. And this being owed something is kind of like really normal in our world. Uh, I hear the phrase, you owe me, flippantly all the time. I probably say it without even realizing that I say it. A really good example was last night. I can't preach this Saturday night because it happened after church Saturday night. My parents came over. We were eating dinner. Uh, my mom brought dinner, and there was, like, one kind of helping left in the dinner dish, okay? And it was really good homemade food. And so my husband looks at my dad, and they're kind of like, who's going to eat the last portion, right? And uh, Tyler just takes the, takes the portion and puts it on my dad's plate, and he looks at him and he goes, you owe me. And my dad goes, didn't you listen to Ashley's sermon? You're not supposed to say that. And we all laughed about it. And it, it was funny. He didn't actually mean it, right? It is kind of a joke. 
But we do live in this sense of like, if I go out of my way to do something really nice for you, then, then you kind of owe me a little bit. God says that's not living in abundance. Give all that you have. Give all that you are because I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to refill you up. I'm going to restore you in that. And I promise that giving graciously is way more fun than taking something you think you're owed. There's not much gratitude in that. There's not much joy in that. God calls us to live differently, and it's hard. Uh, Jesus speaks to being owed stuff directly. There are people uh, in Jesus' time who are owed things, and they ask him about it. So you heard in our scripture reading from Luke chapter 12 today, sell your possessions, give to those in need, store up treasures in heaven. God's talking about earth uh, or heavenly possessions. Store up, build up relationships. Those have eternal impact not worldly possessions. If we back up in Luke chapter 12, someone calls out from the crowd. I'm in uh, Luke 12 verse 13. Someone calls from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This person has legally owned their half of their, his, their father's estate. And so this person wants Jesus to address that. Tell my brother he owes me. And Jesus, rather than saying, you're right, Legally, you are owed something. Jesus dives into a parable. He's explaining a point with another story. And he ends that parable. It's the parable of the rich fool. And he ends that parable by saying, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He cares about our relationships. If we flip the page, uh, Luke chapter 15, it's a parable of lost, there's parables of lost things, lost sheep, lost coins, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Do you remember how that parable starts? A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father divided his wealth between his sons. His son was demanding something he was owed before he was actually owed it. And the result is relational turmoil. That son leaves. It hurts his family. But that parable ends with restoration. He's welcomed back. Relationships are mended. He is loved for who he is. Right after that parable, we get to Luke chapter 16. We get, we get to the parable of the shrewd manager. I don't know what the last time was when you read the parable of the shrewd manager, but it had been a while for me. And I was like, this is super fascinating. So if you want to go home and read the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke chapter 16, I highly encourage it. Long story short, there's a manager He is fired by his boss for mismanaging money. But before he actually leaves his job, he thinks, I'm not going to have anything when I quit my job, and I'm going to need people to take care of me. So the people that he goes to to take care of him are people who owe his boss money. And he says, to build relationship with them, he says, scribble out what you actually owe him and make it like half as much. So if you owe him 100 bushels, scribble it out and write 50. So this manager who's been fired is ripping off his boss more. And when his boss finds out what he has done, his boss actually commends him. He says, well done. You cared more about your relationship with these people than you did about earthly wealth. Jesus says in verse 9, he says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. God cares way more about our relationships than the stuff that we have or even the stuff that we give. He cares about the relationships, how we point people to him, 
how we invest in the lives of others. As I was prepping the sermon, I thought, you know, this speaks to scarcity and abundance. I preached on this back in July, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But we live in a culture that says it's normal to just keep what you have. I've worked really hard for my stuff, and therefore it's mine. And if you just haven't worked very hard and don't have very much stuff, that's not really my problem because you didn't work hard. We live in a very individualist culture that's contrasted with a collectivist culture. And there are perks and minuses of both. So it's not a bad thing to live where we live and be in this kind of culture. But it is not biblical to say, well, my stuff is my stuff and your stuff is your stuff and too bad. The root of that is fear. It's a scarcity mindset that says, well, if I give my stuff away, I worked hard for that. I'm never getting it back. God says, that wasn't really your stuff anyway. It was always mine. And don't you trust that I will provide for you abundantly in everything that you give? In everything that you do, don't you trust that I will provide for you in that? Our culture is totally fear-based. I don't know if you watched TV in the last couple weeks at all, but any political commercial you saw, guaranteed it was a scarcity mindset. Don't vote for this person because here are all the terrible things that will happen. I feel like the grandma in Moana. Darkness will ensue if this, right? Scarcity mindset. And God says, live in abundance. Be grateful for the things that you have. Whether you have a ton or a little, be grateful for it. Let it flow out of who you are. And by the way, you already have everything. You know God. That is eternally everything. You already have everything. Let it flow out of you. Be grateful for it. Let other people experience that kind of abundance. Here's how uh, scarcity and abundance plays out in my life right now. And this is a super silly story, but it'll get the point across. Um, I dropped this nugget in the weekly email. If you don't get the weekly emails, you should, because I drop nuggets in there about what I'll preach on. Uh, so I told you I backed into a tree in that email in this last week. So I was at a birthday party for my cousin. So I was at my aunt and uncle's house, and they live kind of in the forest. Uh, they're not like forest people. They're real people, but, you know, they live on an acreage in the forest. And so I was, I was the last one there. I was coming from church, and I had Paxton with me, and I parked between two trees. So I'm, I'm parked between two trees, and here's the driveway, and there's a tree over here, kind of behind me. And uh, I didn't need to see the tree behind me when I parked, but as I was leaving, Paxton was getting fussy. We were trying to get home to see Tyler. He had been out of town for the weekend, and so he's fussy. I'm like, let's just get home. So my dad carried Paxton out to the car, put him in the car. I'm backing out of my little parking place, trying to miss the two trees that I parked in front of, right? So I'm trying to swing out of the spot without, you know, my front hitting these trees. And in the meantime, I hear beep, 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 boom. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. I have a backup camera. It beeped at me. What was I doing? I hit the tree behind me. So, of course, Paxton starts crying because it made a noise and we were jolted slightly. And I'm like, great. This is so dumb. I've never hit anything in my life. I'm an excellent driver. And the, the voice in my head just goes off, right? My dad's like 10 feet from the car and he's like, Ashley, it happens. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. This does not happen. There's a camera on my car. There's a beeper on my car. How stupid do I have to be to back into something? And he's like, it's okay. It happens. And my scarcity mindset was like, it's not okay. This is going to cost me time that I don't have to take this in. This is going to cost me money that I don't want to spend to get this fixed. And just loop, loop, loop in scarcity. And he was like, but like, you're fine. Nothing happened. Your car is actually fine too. He was hanging out in abundance. And I just wanted him to hang out in misery with me. 
Misery loves company. So he, whatever, get in the car, start driving home, call Tyler. I hit a tree. I've never hit anything in my life. It's fine. You guys are okay, right? Yeah, it's fine. No, it's not fine. I wanted him to hang out in my misery with me too. Scarcity is normal in our culture. We much prefer to hang out here. It's easier to hang out here. And thank goodness for emotionally healthy adults in my life who were like, but like, it's fine, Ashley. I know it seems silly, but living in abundance is way more life-giving. Here's a picture on, on the screen of my car. Just kidding. I just wanted to make sure you were still awake, okay? Uh, here's what I want you to hear in that story. Life will give us dents. Tiny little ones, really big deep ones, they're going to happen. Do we allow those dents to steal our character, to steal our joy, to steal what God has given us from ourselves or from others? The dents are inevitable. Do we allow those things to define us? Do we want other people to hang out in our pity party? When Maui steals that heart, darkness just takes over. And in the midst of that, identity is lost. I want to show you another clip from Moana where she, she's had kind of a calling to something higher and she doesn't know what it is. And this is a moment in the movie where she discovers that there's a higher calling. Take a look as she discovers who she is. We were voyagers. 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 Why'd we stop? Maui. When he stole from the Mother Island, darkness fell. Pekka awoke. Monsters lurked and boats stopped coming back. To protect our people, the ancient chiefs forbid voyaging. And now we have forgotten who we are. And the darkness has continued to spread. Chasing away our fish, draining the life from island after island. Our island. But one day... Someone will journey beyond our reef, find Maui, deliver him across the great ocean to restore the heart of Pefiti. I was there that day. The ocean chose you. She figures out that they were voyagers. She's we were voyagers, we were voyagers, and part of me wants us to jump up and go, we're children of God, we're children of God, but I won't make you do that because we're Lutheran and you like to stay seated, so that's okay, um, but it's true, we're children of God, we're children of God, that matters, that's really important. She asks her grandma, what happened? And she says, when Maui stole the heart, darkness ensued and we forgot who we are. Church. Is there a chance we've forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten who we are as children of God? It's really hard to swim upstream in a downstream world. It's really hard not to conform to the way of the world. And God says you're made for more. I've called you to more. I've called you to abundance. I've called you to life and love. Have we forgotten that? Who are we? Well, we are dented. 
We're not perfect people. This is not a perfect church. We're not defined by those dents. We love because we are loved. God loves you unconditionally. There is nothing that can separate you from his love, ever, ever. And because we are loved like that, we get to love like that. Who are we? We are love. Who are we? We share in Christ's glory. We also share in his suffering. Christ's glory is ours. When I think about glory, I think of like bright, shiny light power. That's yours. I don't know what you think when you hear the word glory. It's yours in Christ. We also share in his suffering. It means it's hard, this side of heaven. Who are we? We're owed nothing. Why? Because we have everything. We are owed absolutely nothing. We've earned nothing. What God has for us is freely given. And he gives you everything. Everything you need, he gives to you. Who are we? We are one body, united in Christ. That's a core value at Hope. We are one body, united in Christ. What's that mean? It means we love each other really, really well. And we go out into the world and love the world really, really well, and we don't have to do it alone. We get to do it as a community. As people who understand we have a higher calling, I was leading an alpha group a couple weeks ago, and um, we were totally off topic, and it was awesome. And we were, I don't even know what we were talking about, and I'm going to totally not get the, the pieces of our conversation right, but I'll get the point across. Uh, one of the gals in that group said, Ashley, I don't understand why we can't just have open, honest, loving conversations about politics, about social things, about the really hard stuff in church. She's like, I'm afraid to talk about this stuff with people because I'm afraid they'll get offended uh, they'll get mad at me. They'll try to change me. And I said, you're right. This should be the place where we can do that. Unapologetically, not to change anyone because that steals from who they are, but to love them, to grow in one another. Why? Because we are united in Christ. We're not the same in Christ. Each of you are unique people called for a different purpose. You have different strengths. We need all of them in the body. But we are united. We do love really, really well. Our character is different. What flows out of us is different than the world around us. As that clip concludes uh, in Moana, her grandma looks at her and says, I was there the day the ocean chose you. I was there that day that you were chosen. God looks at you, and I know for a fact that you have been chosen by God. No doubt in my mind, because it's all over scripture, you have been chosen by God you are the only you in the world. Nobody else can do what God has called you to do. And he chose you. You don't do it alone. We do it as a body united in Christ. It's hard to be the only light out there. One light in the sea of darkness. But you have been chosen to do that. Paul writes in Ephesians, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You are holy and without fault in God's eyes, and you give him great pleasure. 
Jesus says in John 15, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, Jesus says. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for. Using my name, God chose you. Why? So that you could go. So that you could produce lasting fruit, eternal fruit that points people to him. Peter writes, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. As people who grow spiritually and emotionally, we are called out of darkness into God's light. We're chosen to do that. And it impacts the world around us. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your relationship with God. Do you believe that he has given you enough that you have everything you need, that it's not even yours, but it's his, and you get to freely give it to the world around you. That you are a light. You can bring light and life. You can change the relationships around you because it's already been given to you. He's given you everything you need. As Moana concludes, darkness falls away. She restores something that has been stolen. And as we watch this final clip, listen to what she says. Let her words wash over you. Listen to the light and the love. Watch as life springs back up. Take a look. Let her come to me.
She says, they've stolen the heart from inside you. But this does not define you. She says, you know who you are. Who you really are. I don't know what kind of dents you have. Surface ones, really deep ones, what's been stolen from you. I do know that they don't define you. I know that God sees you. And he calls you the light of the world. He calls you to something higher, to abundance, and he promises to provide for every single thing that you need so that you can pour that into the relationships around you. Church, when we walk outside of these walls, it's a dark place. It can be really hard. You don't stand there as a light alone. We walk arm in arm together into darkness. And scripture says that true love, pure love, pure light, it drives out fear. It drives out darkness. Nothing can stand against the light that you are, against the love that you are. I want you to know that you are the light of the world. God has called you into that. He will equip you to do that. And I hope it pours out of who you are every day. I hope that you walk in abundance because that's what God has called us to do. We're going to sing one last song. It talks about the freedom that we have in Christ, how darkness doesn't define us, that we are created perfectly that Jesus is our friend. So I want you to stand and sing this out like you truly believe it.